Hi, I'm Beth Fuller, and you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I know the world can feel intimidating or scary at times, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be. Through the lens of food, we can learn so much about one another, celebrate our differences, and maybe eat some tasty food along the way. Are you ready to do this? I know I am. So let's go on a food adventure together right now. Hey, everyone. You're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Fuller. This is episode six. Puglia, my people's land, my land, soon to be your land. Now, before we get started, just a little housekeeping. Everything we're about to talk about, everything we discuss in this entire episode, is all listed in the show notes on my website. So you don't have to take any notes. I took the notes. Go to www.elizabethrfuller.com and look under the podcast show notes. Another thing, you want to be on the podcast? I want to have you on the podcast. Do you want to sponsor the podcast? I'd love for you to sponsor the podcast. Do you want to just talk about a question? Let's talk. Send everything, your voice memos, questions, the fact that you want to give me a million dollars anything to let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com and if you make any of these fun things that we talk about or if you go on a food adventure I want to see it so tag me on any Instagram posts at let's go on a food adventure so with all that said let's get started wait wait one second do you do you hear that do you hear those church bells clanging in the distance do you Do you hear the people bustling on the Italian streets? Oh, do you feel that sunshine on your face? Mm -hmm. Do you smell the bakeries around us? People, I really hope that your passport is up to date and you brought that international phone plug charger thing with you because we right now, we're in Puglia together, insieme. So, my friends, my deli amicis, we andiamo insieme adesso. So, I feel really lucky, honored, grateful. All of these words come to mind when I think about my ancestry and the fact that we are able on both sides of my family, my mom's side and my dad's side, to trace back generations. My dad's side of the family comes from Hungary. And they left in 56 during the revolution. I can't wait to talk about that story. It's something out of a movie. I mean, it's, I, yeah. On my mom's side of the family, her mom comes really from England, Germany. But my grandfather, the Rosettos, oh, we come from a tiny town outside of Foggia called Troia. And as my, my grandfather was one of 12. And as my aunt, my great aunt BJ says, there's two kinds of people in this world. There's Rosettos and everybody who wants to be us. So needless to say, there's a lot to live up to, to, to be a Rosetta. We are loud. We're proud. We really are. A lot of us are very outgoing. I feel extremely honored to be part of the family that I am very lucky and grateful to be born into. So that said, 
we're very big. We have a very large family. And as I've mentioned before, one of my superpowers in life is that I like to treat everybody like family. And I think that comes from growing up in such a large family. My mom's one of six and I have a ton of first cousins. And these cousins are definitely more like siblings to me. We talk all the time. When we get together, it's like time never you know, past, we pick up exactly where we left off. We go on big vacations together. I mean, we are like brothers and sisters in every sense of it. And they're some of the closest people in my world to me, right? When my husband Todd and I were planning our honeymoon, we decided we really wanted to go to Europe and maybe do a nod to our families uniting, our ancestors, his family is more from Scotland and England. And then my family is from Italy and Hungary, as I just mentioned. And I still have family that lives in Troya, who I've been in contact with and chatting with over email since I was, I don't know, 18 or 19. When I lived in Ireland, my cousin at the time, I believe he was living in London and we were trying to figure out how to meet up. But that's a whole nother story for a whole nother day. So we, this isn't like an out of the blue, uh, you know, I'm showing up on your doorstep and you have no idea who I am kind of scenario. Like we, my point is we've been talking. So, and then in my mind, what is he? My new best friend. And I'm not a geography major here, but because we're going to Italy and Italy is what? A little bit bigger than the state of California, maybe? I don't know that kind of resembles the shape. So let's go with that. I can fact check myself later. Todd and I decided together that we can't go all the way to Italy and not go see my family in Troya. Like that's ridiculous. If it works out for everyone's timing and schedule, we definitely need to go to Troya. Like I want to see it. Not a lot of my family here in the U.S. has um, had the honor to go and see where our family is from and meet meet our family down there, the Italians, the real, we call them like the real Italians that are still in Italy. And uh, so we went, we went and it was utterly amazing. I desperately tried to learn Italian for about a year and a half. That went real well, let's just say that. And um, Mio Marito, Pagara, Portuto, as we all know. And um we took a train. So we'd already now been in Italy for about two and a half weeks. Two, yeah, give or take. So we, we were in Rome at this by this point. And we take a train from Rome down to Foggia, which is like the larger town next to Troia. And my cousins came and kindly picked us up. And when we get to the little town, it's better than I could have ever pictured it in my mind. It is so beautiful, so quintessential, like small Italian town in the countryside. It feels like, and we were only there for a day, so I could be remembering this wrong, but it feels like it's perched up a little bit higher, almost not on the top of it, but kind of on the top of a hill. And like all around you are these gorgeous vistas, like farmland for stretches as far as the eye can see. And even in January, looking out over the land, it felt like it was green. Like it was just beautiful, beautiful stone buildings, churches, bells clanging. I mean, that's just quintessential Italian. 
Italy at its best. Like when you're just sitting in a little piazza and all of a sudden the church bells start clanging, not necessarily in sync, but sort of creating like the most beautiful ambiance kind of music to the day. I, I, I know I'm not making a lot of sense when I'm describing this, but let me tell you, it was more magical than I could ever imagine. And any of my Rosetto family listening, anyone for that matter, you go, go, go to Puglia, go anywhere in Italy, go and experience the smaller towns, get out of the cities. As much as the cities are wonderful, these towns, this Italian lifestyle, this, this is what traveling to me and like food adventure, geez, talk about a food adventure is really about. So I won't get into the whole story of everything, but let me just tell you, we ate like, uh, it was a marathon of eating. This was not the, we, we got there. I think our train got in around noon, maybe ish. So we thought, oh yeah, we'll have lunch. Okay. No problem. You know, so we meet with the town mayor. We now are official ambassadors of Troya. We have a plaque, which hangs in um, my office and meet all of the family, all of the friends, just, uh, we, we felt like we had went home. Like we felt like we were coming home and to a place, even though we've never been there, it was the warmest of welcomes, the most beautiful people I've ever met. So my cousin's like, okay, let's go have like aperitivo. Like, let's go get a snack. We'll have some drinks. So we did that in this great little coffee shop. They brought out so much food, like so platters of little sandwiches, little desserts, snacks. We're all drinking, antipasti, whatever. And then my cousin looks at his watch and he goes, oh, we got to go. I'm like, oh, where are we going? We're going to lunch. I was like, what the hell is this? Oh no, this was just a snack. I was like, oh my God. So then we get in his car, we drive what I'm guessing should have taken normally maybe two hours. He does it in less than an hour, maybe 45 minutes. We're flying. We get to this gorgeous little seaside town called Trani on the Adriatic coast. Breathtakingly beautiful and like so different in a way from where we just came from. It's But it's all so close, you know? So anyway, we get to this town. They keep, he knows the owner of the restaurant. The restaurant stays open for us so we can sit and have lunch. It's now maybe 3.30-ish, maybe 4 o'clock-ish, and we're sitting down for lunch. We have the most amazing multi-course seafood lunch, which spilled into the evening amazing course after course sea urchins poached fish shellfish pasta course like other seafood course espresso like you name it bottles of wine great walk around this little town get in the car go back to my cousin's house i'm pretty sure we had more espresso at this time now it's like eight o'clock i'm thinking we're going to just relax. I didn't know. I didn't. Oh, no. Oh, no. We left for dinner at 10 something. I'm in bed at 830 most nights. So I had to put my big girl pants on. So 10 o'clock, we leave his house. His parents, of course, came back over. I think at one point, I'm, I know we went to their house at one point. Then his parents came over. 
He's, I am so upset. I, I wish I could, I can't even describe them properly. I, I am so obsessed with these, these humans. So then his, his friends, I mean, friends that are, I almost said family, his friends are like family. I mean, they're beautiful. I, some of the most beautiful people I've ever seen in my life in person, number one. And number two, just welcome you with open arms. So we are in this, his one friend owns this restaurant slash farmhouse slash uh, Shangri-La in the town. And he decides to host this massive dinner for us. We're sitting in the middle of this farmhouse, fires going, bottles of wine are flowing, everything is made what they call zero kilometers. So nothing they're using, the wine they're drinking, the olive oil, the cheeses, the veggies, the meats, everything is zero kilometers. Mind blown, right? So we're sitting there course after course after course, wines. Then at one point, I mean, it was probably about one o'clock in the morning at this time. And I was like blurry eyed. I not drunk, so tired, just so full, so tired. And I look at my cousin and I was like, we have to go home. Like our train leaves at 9 a.m. We have to go home. And he was like, okay, another hour goes by. But like right before we were leaving, they brought out all this dessert, right? So we're, we're eating dessert and then bottles and bottles of uh, digestif. So you're going to drink something to help you digest your food, a liquor of, of many kinds, many kinds of liquors. So we, right before we were leaving, I tell my cut, like, he's like, okay, we're going to go. He tells the guy, the chef, the owner, very nice gentleman. He's like, no, no, Pasta. They wanted to do like a nightcap of pasta. I was like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I mean, we already eaten multi-courses of pasta. So we get up, we're saying our goodbyes to everybody. I really didn't want the night to end. I, I should have just pulled an all-nighter, but, but you know, hindsight 2020. So we're saying our goodbyes to everyone. We're about to leave. And all of a sudden, one of their friends, could have been my cousin, starts singing the Italian national anthem. So everyone's breaking out into song and they're all singing. They finish that and then they sing the U.S. national anthem. So we're all singing along, arm in arm, heads next to each other, just like, <laughs> like we're at a concert singing along to like the last song, you know, like the last encore song at a show. It was so magical. Get in the car. I'm like heartbroken that we're leaving that morning, right? We get home, get maybe three or four hours of sleep, wake up, have have espresso, and then they bring us to the train station. And my my heart is just, oh, I can't believe we're leaving. Like what a whirlwind. So much fun. If we didn't have um, tickets to a soccer game that day in Rome we probably would have stayed one more day but we will go back we will see everyone again and I am so thrilled to have such wonderful memories about a place that I've always dreamt of going and I've heard about so much 
through my family stories and to go and just to be in the places that, you know, some of my forefathers stood and where my relatives came from meant so much to me. So anyway, I just wanted to share that with all of you because today we're talking about Southern Italy. I feel like a lot of times when people talk about Italy, they always talk about the major cities and there's nothing wrong with going to the major cities. Like Milan has the fashion houses. Venice looks like a movie set. Florence, it's art. And then you have Tuscany right next door, which is the wine. Bologna, food. Uh, Rome, the history. And then you have everything on the Amalfi Coast, Naples, Sicily, that the East Coast, Southern part of Italy is just not traveled enough to. Maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. I mean, it's special to me in my heart. So this week, Southern Italy. Next week, we're going to go a little further north into Tuscany. And we have some friends in Tuscany that we're going to talk to. Now, you guys sent in some pretty amazing questions. I think I might be able to answer maybe one or two of them, but then we're bringing on our expert to really dive a little bit deeper into some of these. So let's get started. Colin in Columbus, Ohio writes, my girlfriend and I are interested in making homemade pasta. We just can't get it right though. The box stuff actually tastes better. Can you help us? Do you have a recipe? Of course I can help. Now, I wouldn't say I necessarily have a recipe for this. I just have a few helpful tips that I do when I'm trying to make homemade pasta that have worked for me. I've had many a pasta fails. And fresh pasta, I think, does taste different than the dried stuff that you get in a box. Don't get me wrong. We use dried pasta all the time in the house. I definitely opt for something that is directly from Italy. I also opt for certain brands, which I can link on the website. I just prefer them. They're a little bit more expensive than the stuff that's $1.99. You might be paying $4.99 for one of the other brands that I'll recommend. But I think the flavor is a little bit better with some of the other brands of pasta, the dried stuff that I like. But let's talk about fresh pasta. We're not talking about dried. We're talking about fresh. So with fresh pasta, there's a few tips that in it's going to sound a little crazy but the way that it's been made for years by all of the nonas and and the grandpas i mean everybody in italy is by hand it's by feeling it's by touch it's by memory and one of the best rules of thumb and one of the best things i can tell you is to, you're going to get your hands dirty and you're going to touch it and what you're going to know after doing it once or twice, you're probably going to have a pasta fail. I've had many that after touching it enough, you just know when the dough's right. You know when the dough feels soft and ready to be rolled. It's a feeling thing. So there's trusting your gut and intuition with it. The other thing is it depends what kind of pasta you're going to make kind of talks to what flour you should use. For example, if you're going to make ravioli or raviolo, you're going to use a double zero flour, which is uh, milled a little finer. It also has a lower gluten content in it. Uh, you want to use this flour for really good Neapolitan pizza. Caputo, I believe it is, the brand, makes a great one, and they're from, I think, Naples. 
You can get it at Whole Foods. Most major grocery stores, I think, carry it. Carries it. And uh, King Arthur Flour makes one as well. Uh, they're based out of Vermont. So AP flour is fine for regular pasta. Your The other thing, too, is when you make it, depending on the humidity in the air, depending on how big your eggs are, depending on the weight of the eggs, it's all going to be different for how much flour you're actually going to need. And the moisture in the air makes a difference. So in terms of measurements, you can start with a certain amount of each item, but you're probably going to have to add more flour as you go. And like you do exactly what you, you picture and you've seen a million times probably on TV where you make the well of flour and then you make a big hole in the middle of the flour, crack all the eggs in it, put the salt in, scramble up the eggs, and then just slowly start bringing the flour in either with a fork or with your fingers until it gets incorporated into the dough and then it becomes a dough and then you're going to knead it and knead it and knead it and then you're going to let it rest. So that's the other part of this because the flour needs time to absorb all of that good stuff, all of the moisture from the eggs and let it all kind of marry in together. And you can't just go from kneading the dough and then letting it rest for a few minutes to rolling it out. It really needs time to rest and relax. And for the gluten that you just worked over and over again while you were kneading it to slowly soften, because you want like a nice chewy, but like this is going to be, I don't know, if it's the right descriptor, but like a, almost like a supple kind of noodle. You know what I mean? I think the rule of thumb is three parts flour to two part eggs by weight. So I always weigh everything out. I use a kitchen scale, which I've talked about a few times before, and I'm happy to link another one in. So everything's weighed now. Everything's mixed. Everything is rested. Let's make some pasta. When you make pasta, you can do it with multiple different tools. If you have the attachments to a KitchenAid mixer, this is when I'd pull out the KitchenAid mixer. I wouldn't use the dough hook to make the dough to begin with. I like to get my hands dirty. I like to feel when I can, by feeling it, know when it's ready to be rolled, well rested and then rolled. So that's just my personal preference. If you are attuned to dough hook world and can mix it that way and have had great results, my hat is off to you and that's great. So you can use a KitchenAid mixer, you can use a hand crank pasta machine, or if you don't wanna go down that road, you can actually just roll it out by hand with a rolling pin. You just wanna get it as thin as humanly possible. Um, it all, you know what, actually, it depends on what kind of noodles you're making, but it's going to poof up and swell when you put it in the boiling water. So some rule of thumb is you want to be able to read the paper through the pasta dough. That, if you can get it that thin, good for you. But I will link a few videos or at least some recipes on the website just to get you started. Um, and have fun with it. Add in flavors, mix different flours together. You know, there's a lot of different flour blends you can make with double zero flour, uh, all-purpose or AP flour and semolina. You can add in a little olive oil. You can add in uh, different flavors of basil herbs. And if you want to get crazy and do like some squid ink pasta or some pasta with saffron water, honestly, there's it's 
just the perfect way to have a great food adventure, to experiment, maybe to use up stuff in your fridge, herbs that you, or dried herbs that you're like, I don't even know what to do with this. Taste it. Do you think it would be good in a pasta sauce? Great. Throw it in your pasta, you know, and give it a whirl. Why not? Life's too short not to have fun with everything in your kitchen. So with that said, I hope this gets you started. I hope this is just a fun couple of little tips and tricks. Like I said, I'll put a bunch of recipes on the website because honestly, this is just the beginning. This is, there's so much you can do with fresh pasta, fresh noodles, and you can take it in so many different directions. But seriously, thank you for the question. I'm now inspired and might go make fresh pasta for dinner tonight. And tag me on Instagram with all of your fresh pasta adventures. And as Alexis from Schitt's Creek would say, mmm, nom nom for us, David. Okay, and on the subject of pasta, this was one of our most frequently asked questions for this episode. Grace, Stephanie, Mark, and Carol from across the U.S. all asked in various ways why are there so many pasta shapes and what sauce goes with what pasta shape I know it is a little overwhelming when you walk down an aisle in a grocery store and you see so many different shapes of noodles but let me tell you it makes a difference and there is a rule of thumb and also full disclosure rules are meant to be broken So if what I'm about to say, you decide to throw caution to the wind and just go for something else, do it. Do it and let me know how it comes out. So you know those pastas with the lines in them, like rigatoni, ziti, some penne's. They're shorter pastas. They have nooks and crannies. Maybe it's one of those twisty noodles. Those kind of pastas, you want a sauce that's going to cling to them and get in all those nooks and crannies. So whether it be some kind of ragu or um, a bolognese or just a thick and rich and hearty sauce, yum. The shorter pastas um, like orzo or even like the little tiny elbows or the... um, I talked about ditalini in an episode. They're like teeny tiny little tubes. Those little pastas, they're great for soups. And just a little pro tip, when you make pasta for soup, I like to store the cooked pasta separately in the fridge from the hot or the cooled down soup when it goes in the fridge. Because if in my past experience, when I've mixed them together the next day, the pasta looks like it ate all the soup and it becomes these like swollen noodles. If that's your jam, by all means, go for it. Personally, I just like to store it separately. Okay, so we got the pasta with the ridges out of the way. We got the little guys. Then you have like the longer noodles. So this would be your spaghetti, your fettuccine, your linguine, your pappardelle. Those uh, can go in a few different directions. Like a wider, thicker noodle, I like a good ragu with it. Like the bolognese again, some other type of maybe it's like a mushroomy ragu. The other noodles, spaghetti, even linguine, I guess even fettuccine, <laughs> any of the edis. No, I'm just kidding. Um, those I like with 
a lighter sauce, whether it be like uh, and and with seafood a lot of the time. So you know, uh, with clams or mussels or lobster or a whole mix shrimp, like a whole mixy of different things. Not hard and fast rules here, though. Like if you don't like seafood, but you still like longer noodles with your spaghetti and meatballs, which I do too. Don't get me wrong, I like a good spaghetti with meatballs, but um. These are only suggestions. The other thing I really love is bucatini. And I will put, and that's like a spaghetti, but it has a hole in the middle. So that soaps up sauce really well too. So with that, it's like, I'll do a carbonara, which is super simple. And it's basically uh, guanciale, which is the pig cheek. Or if you can't get guanciale, um, pancetta would be a good solution you just don't want it to be too smoky. So bacon's a little too smoky for this, but I know in a pinch I've done it. Don't get me wrong. And it's this creamy pasta dish, but the only thing that's really making it creamy are egg yolks and cheese. So it's basically bacon, cheese, and eggs in pasta. So it's like breakfast, but not. And tons of black pepper. Same thing with cacio e pepe, which is cheese, water, and noodles. <laughs> it's so beautiful and delicious and I will link to all these recipes I am now really hungry and I need to go eat lunch I think I'm gonna have pasta but before I jump off and eat lunch and come back let's talk about one more type of pasta the orchietti so orchietti look like tiny little hats they're I think it means little ear in Italian it could be wrong with that uh fact check me and with that one you want like chunkier vegetables whether it be with broccoli or broccoli rabe or I always make orchiette with broccoli rabe a little onion um, and peas I put peas in there I love peas oh I love peas um and sausage oh so good and I go totally against the grain and I do put a little bit of fresh parmigiano reggiano or pecorino romano on top which I know is a huge no-no and my expert from Puglia. We'll talk about that in a second. But anyway, I will link to a bunch of recipes with a bunch of different noodles and a bunch of different sauces. There really is no wrong way to eat pasta. I just think that when you mix the right noodle with the right sauce, it can taste even better. So that being said, I think it might be time to bring on our guest to answer a few more of your questions. So this gal she's got many talents she's an artist she's a poet she does incredible calligraphy she is an intuitive and spiritual healer and coach which is how we met and fell in love because I needed some healing and coaching she lived about an hour and a half south of where my family is from in Italy which is just bonkers she loves kitty cats all things tea and long walks on the beach. No, I'm kidding. I want to take a second and just welcome with open arms and big hugs and kisses my dearest friend, Marissa. Hey, how are you? Hi, Beth. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy you're here, my Italian goddess. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here and just so honored that you invited me on. Thank you. Of course. So first and foremost, 
we, I mean, obviously today we're talking about all things Southern Italy. We're talking about Puglia. We're talking about that little heel of the boot. Mm -hmm. What brought you to Italy in the first place? Well, my Italian story begins in my study abroad year of college. I went to this little town called Urbino, which is in the Marche region, and I stayed for a whole year. And prior to that, I had been teaching myself Italian and my uncle's an Italian professor. So he really was my mentor for all things Italian growing up. And I just knew even after the study abroad year that I was gonna live there. I just knew it, I could just feel it. So after that year was over and I went back to UMass and I got my degree, I decided I'm just gonna pack my bags and go and move there. So that's what took me there really. So you went for the year for the study abroad and then mm -hmm. you came back because you had mm -hmm. to, and then yes, you went back exactly. again. Exactly. Wow. Okay. So when you went back the second time, where did you move to? So initially I was supposed to be teaching English in this little town outside of Milan, but they couldn't get my visa together, which is pretty common for mm. Italian bureaucracy. It's very slow. It's very sluggish. And I was just too impatient. So I had met a man, as you do when you're studying abroad, and wait, was he was he an Italian gentleman? <laughs> oh yes, he was. Oh. <laughs> oh, and she's it was in love. Oh, you know, it was a very um, common, let's say, note. <laughs> from oh people. yeah. Before like, I, I went to, to study abroad, like, be careful of the Italian men. You don't want to fall in love with an Italian oh, man. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I picture it like an early 2000s rom-com. Oh, it was just like that. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. really was. Mm -hmm. He couldn't speak English. I couldn't speak Italian. Aww. We learned together, even Aww. though he never learned English, really. Um, some things he picked up, but I only spoke Italian with him, which was really wonderful. And he was just... A, an exceptional person. Mm. And I went to his town and we thought that I couldn't really live and work there because it's a small town. It's called Barletta mm -hmm. and it's in Puglia and it's right on the water. And, and I guess we just assumed, you know, if you're going to teach English or if you're going to get a job, we'd have to go to a big city. But we just so happened to go into this English school one day and just asked, you know, are you hiring? And as soon as she heard that I was, you know, a bona fide American girl, she hired me. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. And I really was the only American person there for a little while. And um, wait, in the town, Barletta? in the town, in the town. Yeah. Stop it. So you were like the, the quintessential American celebrity. Oh my God. Yes. Did they ask you all the silly questions that when you're the only American somewhere, they ask you so many. And what, wait, what were the best? What were like the top two? Um, they always asked me things that they had seen in movies, you mm -hmm. know, or shows because they watch a lot. It's funny because most people in Europe really watch a lot of American TV and mm -hmm. film. Mm -hmm. And so they know so much about our culture and we know very little about theirs. Mm -hmm. um, certain things like, do, do they really have mailboxes outside the house? you know, and like, really? Yeah. Do the police really drive around in their cars like that? You know, like things that they saw on TV that they just were, oh you know, curious gosh. by. Yeah. 
That's fascinating. Are people, are people skateboarding around all the time? <laughs> yes. You know, if you live like in San that. Diego, yes, exactly. that's true. Oh, that's so funny. Okay, wait. So then we have a question from a listener, and this is perfect right. timing. So Martha in Delaware asks, do you speak Italian? And do you have any tips for someone who wants to learn a second language? Hi, Martha. Yes, I do speak Italian. I speak it fluently and I dream in it. And I just love it so, so much. And it was my passion just in my, those teen years. And then when I first got to Italy and then when I was living there, I just wanted to absorb so much of it. And so my tip for you for learning a second language is to immerse yourself as much as you can. And when I moved to that town, that was really when my Italian took off because I was suddenly reading it, speaking it, listening to it all day long. And even if you're not there, you can still do that. You know, there are so many resources online for you to be um, even, even listening to YouTube. Um, you can go to an Italian news outlet and you can just listen to their news in the morning and just have it in your ears as you're getting ready. You can go on Netflix and put the subtitles of the favorite show you're watching in Italian so you can read it as you're watching the show and maybe pick up a few words here mm -hmm. and there. Mm -hmm. Listening to music is really helpful. So find any way to really immerse yourself in it and you'll learn so much. Those are great tips. Thank you. Um, um, all right. So just so the listeners know, for those who don't understand where Puglia is, I mean, some people realize it's the heel of the boot of Italy, but what you said, it's next to the coast. Like what coast is that next to? Yeah. So that is on the Adriatic coast, which is the Mediterranean Sea, of course. And Puglia is just so underrated. It really is. A lot of people, when they think about Italy, they think Tuscany. Everything's mm -hmm. named Tuscan this, Tuscan that. Um, but it is so gorgeous. The beaches are crystal clear, like Caribbean beaches. Mm. It's beautiful. And it's also the, um, the second largest producer of wine, wine grapes in Italy. Really? And the top, yes. And the top producer of olive oil. It's the, it's 40% of the total output. There's just so much magic in those olive groves and in mm. the vineyards that spread on for miles and miles and miles. And they have so much coastline. So it's this mixture of sea and land that is so beautiful. And there's lots of really specific cultural things about Puglia that that make it so interesting to visit. It's it's a little rundown in some parts, mm -hmm. um, and that kind of adds to the charm of it. The colors are really vibrant. Um, my mom, I remember the first time she came to visit, she was like, "It's so colorful. There's so many pastel colors. It's like mm -hmm. we're in a Caribbean or like um like some sort of island place, and there's palm trees. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting geographically." Yeah, I and so if somebody was going to, because a lot of people, when they go to Italy, they go to Milano, they go to Florence, Venice, mm -hmm. Rome, where, how would they get to Puglia or to Barletta or that mm -hmm. region? That's a great question. You'd probably fly to Rome um, and then take another flight to Bari, which is the capital of Puglia. So mm -hmm. that they would just have a short flight from Rome to Bari or wherever you were connecting from. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And then you would just take a train from there. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So I have another listener question, if you great. don't mind. Okay. Michelle in New Hampshire writes for the last 22 years we've been hosting a big holiday dinner for our friends affectionately called squid party or squid fest it started around 50 years ago by my father whose parents are from coolia as a small pre-christmas dinner of squid potatoes roasted in a red sauce accompanied by big jugs of cheap red wine over the years it evolved into a multi-course dinner with lots of our favorite people all kinds of seafoods games singing and plenty of wine we had to suspend the tradition in 2020, so I'd like to do something really special in 2021, but not more elaborate. <laughs> Simplify things and focus on what's really important. To that end, I would love to hear about holiday dinners in Puglia. What types of food are typically served, and are there any special non-food traditions that we can incorporate? Full disclosure, everyone, that was my mother. And another side note, I'm the one who tends to cook most of this dinner. I'm just saying. So I appreciate it if it's not super elaborate. Marissa, please. That's so great. So I love that you do Squid Fest because that really is very connected to what they do in Puglia, especially on Christmas Eve. That's typically the night of the seven fishes. Mm. And I think in all of Italy, they do this, but what they would eat there would be a first course of frutti di mare, which would be raw seafood. That's pretty easy for you, Beth, you know, open some oysters up, (laughs) but they would have typically. (laughs) Thanks. Okay. We'll check that one off. Sure. Check that off the list. They would typically have a plate of that with some fresh lemons just cut in half, Mm. Um, oysters, raw mussels raw clams. And then they would have sea urchins, mm-hmm. um, which they eat. So they they flip the bottom of the sea. So they, they turn the sea urchin upside down. Mm-hmm. And inside there's this like orange, it's almost like a paste sort of mm-hmm. uh, consistency. And they take a piece of fresh bread and kind of scrape it along that paste. And that's how they eat sea urchins typically. Like scarpetta. Exactly. Just like mm-hmm. scarpetta. Very good. Mm-hmm. And so they would have that. Then they would have a first course. Maybe they'd have um, just like a clams and linguine, or maybe they would have something um, like muscle, just something fresh and easy, like a saute of, of fresh um, mussels or clams or something like that with pasta. Mm-hmm. Then as a second course, they might have grilled prawns. So like those big shrimp that then you would, um, you would peel with your hands. They love having those. If you have lobster, um, it's very different than our lobster here. It's much smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think as tender, but that's something that they would have if they were going to make a really special meal as that second course. Mm-hmm. And then always fruit, always pastries. Something that I love about Christmas time that they do two things actually two traditions the first is on December 8th which is technically the immaculate conception day in the catholic tradition in puglia means that that night with your friends you play card games all night long they call it a notata which means that you stay up all night and you play these card games with your friends and family. There's a bunch of traditional ones that they play and you eat these fried dough balls and the fried dough can have something inside of it, like a little bit of mozzarella and sauce or um, 
some tuna with capers, or they can be empty, but you have a big bowl of these fried dough balls and you just eat them all night as you're playing your card games. And that was just such a fun, I don't know, like, like a different way of mm-hmm. celebrating something that seems really serious, you know, like <laughs> oh yeah, totally <laughs> immaculate conception. It was just really fun. And then on Christmas Eve, another- Well, hold on one second. Oh, yes, sure. What do they call those fried dough balls in Puglia? Because my grandfather used to make them and he Mm -hmm. called them pizza frite. But I am sure that's not the true terminology. (laughs) Yep, they're just called fritelle, which Ah, are just like little fried things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, But that's close. You know, that's just an example of the, I would say, Americanization of Italian words that a lot of immigrants did you know, when they came to America, they sort of took the word in Italian mm-hmm. and kind of like made it, made it slightly American, if yeah. that makes sense. No, it does. And my grandfather did it all the time. And what was mm-hmm. funny was we would always say he doesn't know how to speak Italian. And then when I actually went down to Troia, which is near where you lived in Barletta in um, Puglia, I noticed some of the words that they were saying were similar to what my grandfather used to say. And I was like, this is a local dialect that his parents probably spoke at home mm-hmm. that he learned, but it's not what American Italians, you know, how we, the, the you know, the correct, not correct isn't the right word, but every region has different words for different things. And Italian isn't Italian in Florence as it is in Rome, as it is in Puglia. Everyone has these tiny little dialects that go with their version of Italian, I'm sure, just like how we are here in the US with English. Um, but we we constantly would make fun of him and be like, you don't know how to speak Italian. And then he would say <laughs> words. And then I go down there, God, after he's passed for you know 10 years. And I was like, oh shit, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. He does know, you know how to speak some Italian. It, that's so true, Beth. And my grandparents did the same exact thing. And mm-hmm. the thing about Italian dialects that's so interesting to me is that it's even down to the town. That's mm-hmm. how di- the, the dialects are so different that from town to town, they're completely different, not even just region to region. Mm. So the dialect in the town where I lived is completely different from the dialect in, say, Troya, where your mm-hmm. people are from or... Mm-hmm. or um, Trani next door. I mean, mm-hmm. that was so eye-opening to me mm-hmm. when I first moved there, especially my first trip to the market, um, which I'll tell you about more in depth later. <laughs> I <laughs> I had this experience where they were just speaking this totally other language mm-hmm. and I had no clue what was going on. Mm-hmm. And to them, it's a part of their it really makes them feel close to their own community when they're speaking their dialect, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a really special thing. So it's it's a part of who they are. Absolutely. Exactly. And I think mm -hmm. Italians are, and I I, I like to think most cultures are, but I feel like because, you know, being mostly Italian or part half Italian is that we are very proud people, Mm -hmm. especially people from that region. It's a working class region but a lot of people say that people from Puglia don't leave Puglia they it's you know a lot of the immigrants that come to the United States from Italy are from Sicily Naples you know some from up north but Puglia because you said I mean it's their nation's breadbasket I mean this Mm -hmm. is where all of what would you say 70 percent of 
food is produced in Puglia. I mean, they have, I'm giving, I need to fact check myself on that, but they're get, they, they produce a ton down there. Yeah. It's very fertile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of people don't leave. Um, one of the questions I'm dying to know is what is a classic Italian meal during the day look like, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner down South? Sure. So of course, and I probably should have said this in the beginning, I can only really speak to the places that I've been and and that town where I lived. So when I give these answers, don't think that I'm speaking for all of Southern Italy, but where I lived, Mm -hmm. breakfast consisted of either just a little um, cup of espresso or warmed milk with a shot of espresso in it. And then you would have really essentially just like cookies. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I went to that aisle of the supermarket and it was just cookies, bags and bags. And I was like, they just eat cookies for breakfast. (laughs) And that's really (laughs) it. (laughs) They're kind of like shortbread cookies. Some of them Mm. have little chocolate chips in them. Some of them are more like whole grain. If you're going the healthy route, sometimes Mm -hmm. they have these, um, it's kind of like Melba toast called fette biscottate. Some people will like put some jam on that. So it's like very crunchy, Mm. Um, but it's basically like a little treat like that or a cornetto from a bar, which is kind of like a croissant. Tastes a little bit different than a croissant though. Yeah. And you cannot call it, if you go to Italy, you cannot call it a croissant. Yeah. Because it's just not. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's a cornetto. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they would have their little cookies or their cornetto with their warm milk. Or if you go to a bar, you'd get a cappuccino or something like that. So breakfast is really small and that's typically around like eight or nine. And then in my town, they'd, you know, you'd go to work from nine to one. Mm -hmm. And then at one, every single person, it's like the streets go from being so crowded, wall-to-wall people, out and about, tons of noise. And at 101, silence. Total and utter silence, not a human being outside. Everyone is is inside eating lunch. Wow. And everything closes. So everything shuts down from about one to five. And so you go (laughs) take a four hour lunch break. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm moving to Puglia. (laughs) Yeah. That was, you know, when I first got there, I loved that. But then I had trouble acclimating to that because some days you just don't want to stop for four hours in the middle of the day. I mean, (laughs) what do you do for four? Like I can eat lunch. I mean, I literally eat lunch working, let alone. Yeah. Or what do you do for four hours? Yeah, they go home and it's the full thing, you know, tablecloth, mm. the table is set. You would have your first course, which would be a pasta dish typically. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say a really traditional thing from Barletta would be um, rape salsiccia. So broccoli rabe, which they would boil with the pasta. And then you'd saute up some, some crumbly sausage. Mm-hmm and mix that together with a drizzle of olive oil and, and crushed red pepper on top. And that's a very traditional first course with oracchiette. That's their traditional mm-hmm. pasta. Mm-hmm. Then you would have either a nice, um, just like a piece of fish, you know, done really simply in the mm-hmm. pan or, or broiled. And then, or same thing, just like a piece of meat, mm-hmm. either like a sausage or Um, like a thin slice of veal or something like that, that they would just do really simply maybe with some cherry tomatoes in a pan Mm -hmm. with um, a slice of crusty bread. And then of course, always fruit. There's so many fruits there, different fruits. Like what kind of fruit? 
like persimmons, mm. um, like what are those? Um, oh, I can't remember the name. India figs. Is that what they're called? I, I will Google oh, it. Fiki de India. Oh my God. Amazing. And tons of grapes, apricots, um, percoque, which is like a cross between a peach and something else. Mm. Tons of fruit, melons, always fruit. And so is it like sliced or do you just get a big bowl of whole fruit? Sometimes they would put the bowl out there. Sometimes they would slice it up. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if it's the summertime, maybe some strawberries that have been kind of like sitting in some lemon juice and sugar. Mm. Um, depends on what the fruit is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then maybe a little dessert, like um, like a, a cream puff, that kind of a thing, mm -hmm. or a crostata, um, which is just kind of like a like a tart with jelly or jam. Yeah, it's like a free form pie. Exactly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then everyone literally puts pajamas on, gets -uh. into bed under the covers. -uh. They pull all the shades down, dark as night. They say goodnight to each other. Oh my and they God. sleep from around three to five or three to four. Let's say like three to four fully asleep. Oh my God. Fully asleep. And then they get up. Uh -huh. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> they open the shades up. They make a pot of espresso. Everyone has their cafe. And then you go back to work from five to nine. What? <laughs> I know it's wild. Even in the, even in the winter? Oh yeah. In All the, the summer? Yep. What? All the time. Now, some people who have office jobs, their mm -hmm. schedule tends to vary. They might do like 9 a.m. to 2 p.m., but then mm -hmm. they're done for the day. Um, so it depends. But most people who work in retail, that's their schedule. Nine to one and then five to nine. Holy cow. And then what time do you eat dinner? And then dinner's around 9, 30, 10. And, you know, after that big meal, Mm -hmm. People tend to usually have like a piece of focaccia that you can get from a bakery. Mm -hmm. um, that's a classic thing down there to just get your piece of your wedge of focaccia, which is super oily and, mm -hmm. and has like some olives in it or um, always big cherry tomatoes that are like stewed down to they just melt in your mouth. Mm -hmm. um, and you see people at that hour just walking around with their wedge of focaccia with like a you know piece of parchment paper. And they'll have that for dinner or they'll go out for a pizza. So lunch is the big meal. Yes. Ooh, I, I can't, I can't, I can't even <laughs> like I'm asleep at 830. <laughs> like, this um, schedule would not be good for you. No, it would take me a long time to adjust to, um, the schedule for sure. Mm -hmm. I just, I can't. So this is actually leads me into my other question. In episode one, I mentioned that fabulous, amazing and bean pasta recipe. Mm -hmm. Do you have any others that you still make now that you've learned to make when you were down there? Yes. I always make pasta with broccoli, which I learned to make there. Mm -hmm. It's really simple. You just cut your, your crown, your broccoli crown up and you put it in your boiling water. What I do is I put it in the water before it boils. Mm -hmm. And then as it, once it gets to a rolling boil, then I throw my pasta in together with it. And then once the pasta is done, strain it all together. And at that point, the broccoli has really broken up, not fully, but mostly. Mm -hmm. Then I pour it back into the pot and give it a good stir. And, and at that point, the broccoli becomes almost like a sauce for the pasta. 
And then similarly to that bean dish, you just serve it with a fresh drizzle of olive oil on top and crushed red pepper. And it's so good. I eat that all the time. So no cheese. You can jazz it up. And no cheese because that's a no-no in Italian. Okay. What are some other no-nos in Italian cooking? Because Americans, they would put, if there's pasta, they're putting cheese on top, regardless of what's in the pasta. Yeah. That's a great question. So there's a lot of rules. (laughs) The first rule is no cheese on something like broccoli or peas. They wouldn't do cheese on that. No cheese on fish, anything fish-like, no cheese at all. They wouldn't even, if you go to a restaurant, they wouldn't even ask you because it's just, you're not doing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no chicken in pasta. That's a very American thing. Um, No ice in water ever. Mm -mm, Not even in the summer. No, I know. Yeah. (laughs) No cappuccino after lunch and also no chopping garlic and putting it in the dish. They'll put the They'll put the clove hole in, let mm-hmm. it sizzle in the oil, and then remove the clove. Mm-hmm. That's a very, I don't know how Americans got this idea that Italian food is garlicky. That's an Italian-American thing. Mm-hmm. I agree. Italian food is very delicate. I agree with you. And I think it could be when they first came here, The and the, I'm totally making this up, but logically to me, so the ingredients, when you get them fresh in Italy, because you in Italy, mm. everyone's eating very seasonally. They're not mm-hmm. going to eat things that are out of season. So the ingredients there, like you said, they're delicate. You get all these beautiful flavor nuances in them. And then all these Italians came here in probably what, the 1800s to early 1900s was a big push of immigration. Mm-hmm. And they were now eating tin things. They're eating things out of season. Amer- like the food here was crap. And so they probably needed to put all of these other flavors in there to mask the ingredients that they were using because they weren't used to using tin tomatoes like they were and and just, you know, crappy vegetables that were out of season. And so my guess is that's why Italian American food is so garlic forward. Mm, That's a great theory, Beth. Like they needed to jazz up the product, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's the thing about Italian cooking that I learned that is so inspirational to me that you don't need to change the tomato so much because it's so mm-hmm. delicious just as it is. Mm-hmm. One oh. of my most incredible, you know, most favorite food memories is when I was studying abroad, my uncle had this friend who happened to live in the town where I was studying abroad. And so he invited me to their parents' house, his parents' house. And here I was, you know, 20 years old in this new country at, at an actual Italian person's house, you know? So it's like when you're studying abroad, you're with other students and you're getting the full experience. But that was like, here I was stepping into a real home Mm -hmm. and his mom just sliced up a tomato from the garden, drizzled some olive oil and like sprinkled a little salt on it, brought it to the table. And it was the most delicious thing I'd ever put in my mouth. (laughs) And I just couldn't get over that tomato. So that's the thing. Like if the product just as itself by itself is so good, then you really don't need to do much to it. And I love that because I'm a simple gal at heart anyway. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they don't do much in terms of their recipes, like really intrigues me. Yeah, I agree. It's, 
it's so different from like if you were cooking French food or mm-hmm. I mean it is very simple but the ingredients that they're using are so high quality you don't want to clog them right. up with anything but a tiny bit of really good olive oil and some good salt so that leads me to what are some of the foods you miss most from there and do you feel like you can get them here or is there really no replacement for them the things I miss the most, there are no replacement for mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I miss ricotta so much oh. because where we lived, there was this area called Miner- Minervino Murja, which is kind of like a valley. And so that part of Puglia is very, um, there's lots of sheep. It's very farm-like. So you go from where I was, which was very tropical and, and almost like Grecian looking to this place, which was um, a little colder. There's pine trees, you know, there's a different kind of vibe. Oh, wow. how cheese, far away was yeah. it? Um, just about a half an hour. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the cheese that you can get there mm-hmm. is the most delicious. So, so the ricotta is like fluffy, pillowy. It's, it's like wetter in a way, and it always has a perfect amount of salt. And when they give it to you, it's in this like plastic, um, like this plastic container with holes in it, you know, so it can drain Mm -hmm. with like a bit of paper underneath. Um, And so you'd get it from your guy, he'd, he'd scoop it in there and put a piece of plastic over it so that it wouldn't, you know, drain into the, the bag with the rest of your shopping. And you Mm -hmm. could just eat that with a spoon. Ooh. Oh, you could bathe in it. And then there was this. <laughs> <laughs> you could bathe in it, she said. Was it sheep's milk or cow's milk? Sheep's milk. Did you, I'm sorry if you said sheep's milk, I missed it. Okay. No, great. no, I didn't. Oh, yeah. great question. Okay. And then the other cheese is the um, burrata, which oh. is like a mozzarella ball, but there's cream mm-hmm. inside. And so you cut into it and it just oozes this cream that is so rich and mm-hmm. so luscious. Mm-hmm. And you I just love burrata. Uh, oh. It's just not the same here. Of course, uh-uh. I've had it, but it's just not the same. It's not. And it tastes almost like rubbery here versus there. It's like, it literally, it's so mm. luscious and mm. just dreamy, melty. Oh God. It's another thing uh-huh. that goes amazingly well with that is they have um, prosciutto cotta, which is just ham, right? Mm. It's just like cooked ham, mm. but it's so unbelievably, it's like fragrant. Mm. And so to go to your little bakery, you know, there's, I could walk down from my apartment and there's my green grocer, you know, my fruit and vegetable lady mm-hmm. right in front of me, the bakery lady, all ladies in that, mm-hmm. in those two places, mm-hmm. like older, think of, think of like older Nana type women, lots of saints mm-hmm. hanging everywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you just go in, it's very like, you know, no BS at all. You go in, you get your bread. It's like 25 cents, you know, oh, but man. they would thin slice this gorgeous ham and just, you know, cut open your roll and, and put this thin sliced ham and then a, a little bit of that cheese on it. Oh my God. Oh, and then you just walk God. out with a sandwich. That's like the most delicious thing you've ever had. And it's literally just a ham sandwich. I'm <laughs> you know? so hungry. And I ate breakfast <laughs> like an hour ago and I'm <laughs> salivating for ham and cheese on anything. I'm like a crusty, beautiful roll. Oh God. Yeah. All right. Another question from a listener. 
great. Nick in Boston wants to know, what are your favorite cooking tips and tricks that you learned while living in Italy that you didn't know before you moved there? Great question. So the first thing that I learned is that when you salt your pasta water, that you can then taste the water itself. Mind blown. Right? Oh man. I know you talked about that, but but I had never seen anyone taste the water. I'd seen, of course, my grandmother's salt the water, but never like take the wooden spoon and taste the water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And then the other thing I learned is just how to trust in the kitchen. They don't use recipes. They, they do everything by oral tradition. And that involves having so much confidence. You know, like you have to stand there over the thing that you're sauteing and really feel confident in yourself that you're going to know what to do, even though you don't have it written down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I love that. And I, I love that passing down a recipe is so sacred because they're not written. Mm-hmm. So you have to cook them to keep them alive. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. It's almost like you're a poet. <laughs> Well, I know she is a poet. She's an amazing poet. (laughs) Thank you. You paint such beautiful (laughs) pictures with your words. Like I can literally, I'm like daydreaming about being in Italy right now, eating a ham sandwich and like sauteing a piece of fish. Oh my God. I'm so glad. Oh man. (laughs) That makes me so happy because really like I, I miss it. I really do miss that so much. There is, there is such a beauty in the way they live life. There's so much satisfaction in like, and people don't take it for granted. Like if you're with someone and you go and you get that ham sandwich and you're with each other and you're like, oh my God, isn't this amazing? The other person, the Italian person isn't like, yeah, it's great. They're like, mamma mia, panino più buona del mondo. Like they're they're just as excited as you. (laughs) Very passionate people. I agree. I totally agree. And passionate about food, which I mean, speaks to my heart on every level. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you said that there's certain things that you love there that you can't get here, but what are some of the Italian products that you do love that you can't from there that you can get here? So something that I really discovered when I was there are taralli. Mm. And it's interesting that I discovered them there because they're a thing that can be really easily imported. So I don't know why you don't see them more often because they're just like little crackers. Um, Yeah, they're like little uh, circular sort of biscuits, right? They're wine biscuits. Yeah. So Mm. it's it's a really simple um, kind of crunchy... um, what's the texture? Like it's, kind of crumbly. Yeah. It's almost like, I mean, it's, this isn't a hundred percent what it is, but it's kind of like a little hard pretzel sort of that like you're a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not like malted flavor or anything like that. It's more like a crunchy, hard biscuit. Cause it's not a cracker. Yeah. They, they no, might it's not a cracker. It a cracker, but it's definitely thicker, like almost like a mini circular really hard breadstick that yes like a breadstick yeah yep Mm -hmm. and sometimes but but it has a crumbly because there's so much oil in it too Mm -hmm. it does have like a a rich kind of fatty um crumbly texture too like 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 the way pie dough has that like butteriness Mm -hmm. it tastes like that too Mm -hmm. but 
Tarali. I just love them so much. And you can find them here in a lot of Italian markets. Mm -hmm. And they're so nice to have just with some olives. That's something that's really typical in Puglia, especially. You would go out for an aperitivo, which is just a pre-dinner or pre-lunch drink, which is usually a spritz mm -hmm. or like a campari in Prosecco. And you would have some olives in one dish and some tarali in another dish. They're just like nice little crunchies. Mm -hmm. um, and I love them and they really take me back, take me back there when I eat them. Yeah, I love them too. I fell in love with them when we were there and I mm -hmm. eat them. Sometimes I'd even eat them for breakfast. Like it didn't matter. Great. Yeah. Day, and I if they're just, an anytime kind of thing. Yeah, I agree with you. They're just like snacking on potato chips kind mm -hmm. of. Um, <clears throat> so in your eight years there, what was your favorite food adventure? And if you can't pick one, because I bet it's like picking a child, I'm okay with a couple. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. The first food adventure that was really so special was when I went with my boyfriend and then husband's grandmother at the time to the market. She wanted to take me because she needed to show me how it was done. Mm. And the market there, there's a daily market in every neighborhood of the town because it's very important to them to get this fresh produce. But not only do they have produce at the markets, but they have, you know, a guy selling chickens and a guy selling cheeses and, and fish. There's, there's anything that you want to get at the market. Mm -hmm. But everyone is screaming screaming prices <laughs> and and getting getting it's all ladies too and they have these little carts that are like wheelie carts and they're all kind of like shoving each other it's very serious business so um, it's a little intense i can see why nana wanted to take you the nona wanted yeah. to take you there oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 big time and and it's so for as much as it sounds intense, it's also incredibly lively and and fun. And they're all joking around with each other. And it's mm. very jovial too. Mm -hmm. But this grandmother, oh my God, I loved her so much. She asked for a kilo of apples. That's another thing. They, they shop in kilos. Mm -hmm. And so the guy hands her the apples and she holds it in her hand and she says, that's not a kilo. Sure enough, he puts it back on the scale and it wasn't. This lady could measure because they're so, I mean, she was so used to, to you oh know, <laughs> carrying her produce. She knew that there wasn't a kilo in there and she was right. And there's like a feistiness to the women, mm -hmm. especially when they're at the markets, you know, they're, they're all yelling at each other, the salesmen and the, and the women. I and love this She's like, so I don't want much. that melon. Give me that one. That one has a dent on it, you know? Oh my God. So great. So that was absolutely an adventure that first time that I mm -hmm. went with her specifically. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is a little maybe shocking to some of your listeners, but in our town, um, horse sausage is a mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, it's a thing over <laughs> the U.S. But what's funny is the U.S. imports or exports so much horse meat around the world, mm -hmm. but we won't, it's not socially acceptable to eat it here, but everywhere right. else it is. So let's right. just- yeah, I know. Food for thought on that. But yes, please go ahead. Yeah. And, you know, they would always say it's just like any other animal. Mm -hmm. You know, you think a pig's cute. You think a mm -hmm. cow's cute, you know. Mm -hmm. But the first time that I went into specifically a horse sausage or a horse meat um, butcher shop, I went with my ex at the time and he was really like, really wanting me to like it and, mm. and, and just like wanting to show it to me and, and was so proud of it. And the butcher was so excited 
and he gave me a little scoop. Like he, he picked up a little scoop with his hands of the raw horse meat, like sausage meat, because mm-hmm. they eat it raw a lot. Sometimes they'll sear it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's mostly raw on the inside. And for them, it's a delicacy. And he hands it to me and I'm like already freaked out that I'm about to put raw meat in my mouth, let alone raw horse meat in my mouth. And I'm looking around and there's like horse heads on the ceiling. And I'm oh like, oh my God. I thought I was going to pass out, Beth. I was like, okay, I can do this. Put it in my mouth. <laughs> wow, buonissimo, grazie. Like so, trying so hard to be polite. Like gagging it down. It was scary. Yeah. But mm. then of course, over time, I grew to really love it. And it's so delicious. It's like, um, mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it. it. It could have a little bit of a gamey flavor if you eat it just like the strips of it's, it's yeah. very lean. Yeah. Um, so you eat it mostly in sausage form. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so nice, just like in a sandwich, like the way you'd get a, a sausage, like going to um, like a baseball game, you know what I mm-hmm. mean? Like, like just between a, a in a nice roll, it's really mm-hmm. good. Yeah, I've had it in Italy and I've had it in Canada, in Montreal mm-hmm. and in Quebec City. And both and the few times that I've had it, it was either as a tartare, um, oh, as interesting. a carpaccio or as a sausage. And I agree with you. It's a little gamey. It's lean though. So it's almost a little like venison sort of. Um, I would say it's even like if venison and like a lean beefy cow kind of flavor went together, that's what Mm. it reminded me of. But there was also a lot of like flavors added into the versions that I've had. So you don't really taste it as much, but you're right. It is very lean. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now I know you are an incredible home cook and you've taken all these food adventures all over the world and now kind of incorporated them into your daily life. What are you really excited about cooking right now at home? Great question. So I love to travel so much and I feel like when I'm cooking something from a place that I want to go to, it, it sort of brings me closer to that, to that place, even if I'm not there. Um, like I, I love the sensory feeling of cooking something that, that could connect me to a place. Mm. So right now I'm obsessed with Japan. So I've been making a lot of tonkatsu, which is basically just like, you know, fry something, um, anything could be anything. Mm -hmm. And also that traditional Japanese comfort food, which is, I'm going to mispronounce it, tamago kake gohan, which is just a, a raw egg in hot white rice that you stir up. So the egg kind of makes it like really creamy and a beautiful, beautiful color. And then you can add some sesame oil, some soy sauce, um, and mix it up. And it's just kind of like an easy, comforting Mm. dish. It's funny that you're obsessed with Japan, because I feel like Japanese food, again, is similar to Italian food Mm. in the sense that they are very simplistic with flavorings. It's very clean, simple, Mm. not overly dressed or fussed with food. It, It lets whatever you're cooking, like the one ingredient that needs to be highlighted really shine through. So of course you like Japanese. Mm. Yes, that's a great insight. You're like a food psychic. Oh my God. I know, right? <laughs> like really tuning into the, to the essence of the person through the food that they mm-hmm, like. Mm-hmm. You can add that to your list of um, qualities. Well, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> if you need to know what you want to eat next, please call Madam Elizabeth Fuller. <laughs> At 1-800-blah-blah-blah. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) So is there anything you'd like to promote before we go? Well, I 
have my own business. Mm -hmm. And what I do is I'm kind of like an intuitive, spiritual, therapeutic mentor. So all of my clients, I talk to them by phone. And basically, I just help them get through whatever, whatever thing that feels like an issue for them. And not only that, I help them really just move forward in the best way. It's, it's, it's empowering, it's motivating, and I love it so much. I've been doing it for about four years now. So um, if you want to chat with me, you can go to my website, marissabagnano.com. And I also do guided meditations, and I have those on Insight Timer. I have a meditation course on there too. So that's how you can work with me and find me. Awesome. I will link everything on the website show notes and also follow her on Instagram because she is posting really uplifting content. It's very relaxing to look through her stories. And Thank you. she has an adorable little baby kitty cat named Dusty Doodles. And she posts a lot about Dusty too. So if you like kitty cat stuff, <laughs> you definitely want to follow her for that too. So I have one last question, if you don't mind. I would love to answer your last question. If COVID wasn't a thing and money was no option, where would you go and what would you eat? Well, I've been thinking about this for a while. And even though I lived in Europe for a long time, I never got to Germany. Oh. And I've been thinking about these little, uh, I've been talking about sausage a lot, I guess. So that's <laughs> on my mind, but <laughs> you know, but there's a town, Nuremberg, and they're known for their sausages. They're, they have to be very specifically measured. They're the right, they're this, they're the specific size and taste and flavor to them. And I saw it actually in like an in-flight magazine, which is like so lame, but mm. I read this article all about them. And ever since then, I've just been dying to go there. And also there's some, there's this feeling that I get, like, I also want to go to the black forest you know, and, Ooh. and eat pretzels. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's something about German food that's really calling me, you know, like a real Bavarian pretzel. Yeah. I would love to have that. And these little sausages and, and these quaint little towns, mm -hmm. and you a know, big cold beer. I also think yes. because we're in new England together and it's the dead of winter right now. Mm. Cozy comfort food is just calling our names. Totally. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. I love you to bits and pieces. Aww. Everybody go to Marissa's website. I personally can talk about for hours about how wonderful she is to work with. That's how, you know, as you all know, we first met and became best friends and fell in love. And she is just my <laughs> soul sister, my sister from another mister. I love her more <laughs> than words can You're say. so sweet. And thank you. Thank I mean, you, I can you. just say that if Beth is in your corner, you're set for life and Aww. you're lucky. So <laughs> I love you. <laughs> thank so you much. so much. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Thank Thanks, you. Beth. Bye. Love you. Bye. Wow. Episode six. That's a wrap. I want to thank my dearest, sweetest friend, Marissa. You were the most amazing tour guide through Puglia and down in the Adriatic coast. Thank you so much. I also want to just say that this whole episode, I've been deep in thought about my family and how lucky I am to, to have the family I have, but family is so much more than just who you're born into with. <laughs> it's the collection of friends. It's the friends that become just family. 
and the people in your life that you get to keep close to your heart. So with that said, keep everybody you love safe, cook some good food together, have some wonderful, joyous times, and create some great memories. I can't wait to see you guys next week. Until then, check out my website, elizabethrfuller.com, for all the show notes. Got any questions? Drop me an email. Let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com. And if you have any good food adventures this week, tag me in them on Instagram at let's go on a food adventure. I love you guys so much. Talk to you soon. Ciao, ciao.